Welcome back to Hashtag Single with Jeanette Bonner. I am not a relationship expert or sex therapist. I'm just a regular New York City woman navigating the world as a single, independent feminist. Hashtag Single is about having honest conversations with other singles in today's device-obsessed culture. So I hope you'll join me on this interesting, challenging, and complex journey as we navigate the ins and outs of singledom. Wonderful singles, welcome back to the world of singledom. I am Jeanette, your host, and this month we are talking about a very naughty topic. You guessed it money. (laughs) If you didn't know, August 14th is National Financial Awareness Day. And so in honor of that holiday, we thought we would hold a very dirty conversation around everyone's two favorite topics money. And divorce. So joining us today is financial analyst Olivia Summerhill. Olivia, welcome to Hashtag Single. I am so excited to be here today to talk about literally that they are, I think the two, I don't think you can come up with two (laughs) worst words to talk about, but they're so needed, this conversation. So I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for the invite. You're very welcome. I'm so glad we connected. And you're, I don't know, we'll talk more about why you're attracted to both dirty topics, but that's maybe a podcast for another time. Um, I'm going to read a quick bio just so people have a little background on you and where you come from. Um, Olivia Summerhill is founder of Summerhill Wealth Management, which works exclusively with affluent women, protecting their lifestyle throughout the divorce process. Prior to launching her firm in 2020, Olivia worked in asset management for four years and is one of few financial professionals to hold certified financial planner, certified divorce financial analyst, and behavioral financial advising credentials. She's been featured in various media publications, including Forbes, U.S. News, Business Digest Magazine, among others. I love this one the most penny hoarder <laughs> i love that still in publication uh she works <laughs> she works and lives in washington state in the greater seattle area did uh did i get everything in there anything you want to add or correct oh we're good that's all great <laughs> awesome so let's start at the beginning how did you decide to found Summerhill wealth and did you know you specifically wanted to work with and serve women when you did that so I ended up, I was in a very comfortable position, wealth management, had no reason to leave, but I started having women come to me after their divorces to work with their money. And it just seemed like they were getting screwed over. I mean, it was just hmm. apparent, right? I mean, they're sitting in this room with their lawyers, they're intimidated, their husband's now going to be exes, did all the finances. So they don't even know what they're missing out on or what conversations to have. Mm. Yeah. And I wasn't in that room because again, they were coming to me after it was finalized. And it's like, wait, there has to be a better way. How can I get involved more? And it ends up, well, instead of trying to do investment planning, education planning, insurance planning, all the other stuff that you can do in the financial world, I decided, well, I might as well start a firm just working with women, just working with the financial divorce aspect, because you can't do it all. So I ended up leaving, even though I loved retirement and talking about planning and saving, 
it just made so much sense, especially during COVID when everyone seemed to have that topic of divorce on their mind. Um, it was going to be more prevalent in the, the days to come. So it was a good business decision. Uh, and then, of course, it turns out, well, it was more selfish than I even imagined to help these women because I had just been in a divorce family in my childhood that I completely oh. didn't even think about, you know, for the last 10, 15 years. But my mom had been taken advantage of with money in a powerful man uh, relationship. And I just completely thought of getting into finance to help myself never be like her situation. And so now it's a 180 of, oh, whoa, I'm helping women just like my mom when I couldn't help her with the finances and her divorce as a child. So I'm doing it for my own reasons as well as there's a huge need. And it's so crazy that you didn't realize that, like you didn't connect the dots. It was like living in your subconscious until she pointed it out. It, well, actually, it was my therapist that I hired last year. <laughs> oh my God, perfect. Yeah. Totally. I am so open about if you have anything in your entire history that you want to work on, a therapist is going to help you with that. And she is the one who, with me, we discovered, oh, wow, you actually have some stuff that you needed to work out. So I did, got everything under control created the foundation of the business. And so far, it's just been absolutely the biggest reward ever to help women. I want to talk about, well, first of all, congrats to like taking the leap to founding a new business and a firm in the middle of a pandemic, which I'm sure was like not easy, but I want to go back to what you said. Was divorce on the rise in the pandemic? Did you see that? I actually have had a lot of reporters ask me that question. So you can say it varies and it depends on what state you're in across of the course. US. Of course. Yeah, yeah. So it really, so some families, they can't afford to get divorced, but they want to during the pandemic. It just, it's not plausible to have two households, two expenses, your children then have two different sets of beds, cooking, no, everything yeah. is going to be doubled. So a lot of families and like COVID testing too, you'd have to quarantine. Like that's insane. Oh, yeah. It's very difficult to go through. So there's that one aspect where some people want to get divorced. They can't, they're waiting out the COVID seeing what happens. The pandemic is over, then they'll get divorced. And then you have others that are just at the wits end. They cannot stand being in the same house and they're forced to be in the same house. Now they can't go, you know, do their yoga and Pilates during the pandemic. So they, they went for the divorce. So it just depends. There's the stats are all over the place. Um, I would say the, the definitive factor, everyone is saying it has gone up. Like I thought it would, um, but I think we're going to see more coming up this year when people are opening up and just deciding, yes, They're like I'm take the leap. living a new life, new lease on life. Yeah. Let's be single. It's better than being married sometimes. Really? It is. Girl, I know you don't have to tell me twice. I know. <laughs> That's why we're here. Uh, I say that all the time, but no one believes me. But you said you saw like an uptick in clients coming to you. You saw an increase in that specifically. I have, and the education around should I get divorced has been a huge uptick. And sometimes it's the finances that's the best to start with. Sometimes it is going to a therapist. Sometimes it is going to a divorce attorney. So everyone's different. Every situation's different, but I have seen an uptick. And again, that's why I started the firm, even though I could have stayed very comfortable where I was. Yeah. I, I mean, 
I think the whole thing is like super interesting. I, I did have a question that was like, at what point in your education or your career did it like occur to you that divorced women might be a demographic that was underserved? But uh, it sounds like it was all kind of like you had this just like aha moment in the pandemic. Yes. Well, and I've been in wealth management a decade because right out of college, I graduated a year early so I could start working and making my own way through life. Never wanted to Congratulations. be Congratulations. Again, goes back to childhood. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I've been in the industry for a while and it's, it, yeah, it definitely was an aha moment last year of where do I want to uh, finalize starting my business and working with the right women. And it just makes so much sense because there's a huge need, huge need. It, there is. I just realized just even starting to like think about what we would talk about on this podcast today, there's no attention to separating between the sexes, nor should there be when you talk about like money and wealth management. However, I do feel that, and you're the expert here, so maybe this is me misspeaking, but like from my own experience, looking at my parents' marriage, for example, like there is a money misdynamic or an imbalance um, between men and women when we're talking obviously specifically about straight marriages here but I do feel like they're in a large generalization that is not untrue typically the man kind of like manages or earns the bulk of the money and if there's a divorce a woman who has been mainly child rearing or homeschooling or just being a wife in, in managing the family if you will um, is, is suddenly thrown off balance without knowing what's going on with the accounts or having to take a job. Yes, at every point that you're saying, because it absolutely still is a fact that, especially in the United States, and I've seen it now internationally, let's just talk about the US. I have women calling me, asking me questions, and I'm on a lot of different things that it is. It's still the male in the household is typically the higher income earner, and the wife, unfortunately, I mean, she's had such a great career with children, but it's a deer in the headlights of, wow, if he's been thinking about this for years to get divorced, he can go out and stay with his job and I have to go get one. I mean, this is just, it's a crazy, crazy conversation. And so having these conversations and really being there and educating and saying, you know, what your options are is really helpful because it's not something that you are thinking is ever going to happen ever. Yeah. Can I ask you why you specifically work with affluent women or what you call ultra high net women? Great question. So I really dove deep into when I did my branding, who do I want to work with? Where's a mm -hmm. need that I absolutely don't see as being helped because there's a ton of hotlines. I'm a part of a lot of the volunteer organizations that help women with finances for free. And usually those are the low income or no income women. And mm. the need that I saw for a business aspect is ultra high net worth women, affluent women, the women that did stay at home where the husbands made millions a year, they were in the dark just as much as everyone else. Uh, so there's a huge need for them and they can't go to their social circles because they will be the outcast. Um, it's not a place in high net worth world where you can talk about divorce for one and then talk mm. about money struggles. That's just a huge taboo in our country, but then it's on a top of another layer if you have wealth. And to go back to my childhood again, I came from high net worth and saw the destructiveness 
in the relationship getting divorced when my parents did. So I see that there's still a need that a lot of people think, well, if you're wealthy, you don't have problems. And I'm here to say they do. So I still think that that's a valuable business prospect. Right. I guess if you're used to a certain level of lifestyle and then your world gets a little dismantled through divorce, I mean, I'm I'm projecting because I'm not part of this universe, but um, I imagine if your income is no longer as stable or if you have to move houses or something like that, then your 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 stability is shaken. You have to figure out and you don't want to like move to a different part of town and you don't want to have to change friends. You don't have to pull your kids out of like maybe private school or something like that. So um, it's all it's all very fascinating. You're totally right. It's not something that we think about because we think, oh, the wealthy are good and they're they got their stuff and we don't have to worry about how they deal with instability, but they do. Yeah, it's the same world. I mean, we still, even if you're talking to someone who has $10 or 10 million or a hundred million, we all have emotions and we all have feelings and how we deal with that in a divorce is the same way. I mean, we all all need help really, uh, if especially if you weren't the one who was educated with the finances, which is 50% of every relationship, there's usually gonna be one person who is financially savvy and then the other mm-hmm. one's not. So just as you were saying, that's completely typical, typical still. And even I think it's 87% of women who are highly educated, who run the household, but also are working. They still have more confidence in thinking that the male in the relationship is going to be better taken care of them with the financial reins. So they still nowadays, even if highly educated women are working, they still give the responsibility of the finances to the male in the relationship. So there's a lot, um, that's overcast on that, that I think we can do better on educating uh, women on how to take care of it themselves. Well, this makes me think of the gates, <laughs> but okay. So you have like, when you talk about high net worth, right? So, um, and forgive me, cause I don't know anything about like her and what, what her education was, or if she was, you know, working before they met or whatever, but like, obviously he's contributed the bulk of the wealth to that relationship and now they're divorced. And I'm sure there's like complications with that because there's mutual foundations that they've created and you know I'm sure she's set up for life but he was the monetary provider I hate that word but of of that of that marriage you know what I mean I like, know what you're saying she doesn't have to go work at like Applebee's but I'm just saying that like yeah suddenly like her world is is less stable because what she was relying on is no longer there I mean, you know, maybe hopefully she's got a good prenup agreement, but we digress. Let's um, know. You know. We could talk about that because everyone who's listening here, if you're single and you're about to start in a relationship, that's another dirty word is prenup. It totally is. It totally is. And I'm not the lawyer, but I work with the top lawyers across the nation almost daily. And it is the biggest topic that if you are going to think about getting married, I know it's not the most sexy relationship conversation, but talk about a prenup. It doesn't matter if you're coming into the money or not. It's such a good conversation to have because money is something that will go into the relationship and you will not all of a sudden fix what issues you guys had beforehand. You need to have that conversation during the relationship as it progresses and a prenup conversation is not a bad thing to have. I know, but it's, I think people approach it as like, well, we're approaching this as if it's going to fail. (laughs) You know what I mean? They're like, let's talk about the disbanding of the business, even though we're not quite even 
you know, we haven't taken our vows. I think that's why people don't do it. You're like, hey, in the eventuality that this fails, and then you're like, no, no, that's ridiculous. We're going to be together forever. You're like, yeah, yeah, but maybe, but just in case it does. And then you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is there something I need to know about? You know, I think that's why people don't talk about it. It's not the money. I think it's the assumption that like, hey, let's have a backup plan in case this doesn't work that people don't want to talk about. Well, yeah, and that can go into so many different conversations of we just, we like to avoid stuff that makes us uncomfortable. And I totally of course, that understand. Too, yeah. I get it. I get it. I, I'm in the world of money. Like no one wants to talk about that. 90% of people have money anxiety. And I don't think that's a real statistic. I think it's 99% of us have money anxiety. Totally. Like it, talking about your personal finances will raise your blood pressure, will absolutely make you feel so uncomfortable and give you that anxiety because it's uncomfortable to not know. And everything about money in the future is unknown, even if you have a plan. So I get it. I get not yeah. wanting to talk about it, but it's uh, it's a good conversation to have. Single, married, doesn't matter. Um, I've, I've never been divorced, God help me, because I've never even been close to married. So this is an area that I know absolutely nothing about, but I know obviously a lot of our single audience is in the category of divorce. So talk to me a little bit about your process. Like how involved do you get in the litigation process? Like working with attorneys, as you mentioned, agreements, settlements, you know, and, and also like, why is a divorce financial analyst a necessary part of the divorce process? Great questions. So every single person who is going through a divorce or thinking of it, it makes sense to have someone talking to you about the finances as early as possible. And you're going to hear that from everyone in the divorce professional world. So if you are working with a therapist and a marriage therapist, they're going to refer you to someone to talk about the money. Or if you're talking to a divorce attorney or a mediator, they're going to bring in someone who's a financial specialist, someone like myself who can work through helping you split the assets fairly Or for me, I only work with the women, so I don't want to split it fairly. I want her to get more share of what she deserves or what she wants, right? So not being a neutral, but there's a lot of aspects to the divorce process that before I got into it, I really thought that the divorce attorney knew everything, right? I thought they were just these powerhouses that knew all the finances, but I have been the one that actually all the attorneys call because they don't know, okay, a 401k retirement plan that the husband had for 20 years, she has no retirement plan. What do we do? They don't know these answers. So the financial person, yeah, they don't know how to split it. They don't know what the tax repercussions are. Um, And it's not their job to realistically but I, I really did think they knew. Um, so I'm learning that there is a huge need for the financial person uh, to help make sure these decisions are smoothly made. Whether you bring that person who's financially capable and helping through the education on, okay, here's your options with the house. You both can have these options or helping just one party or the other. So I don't know how how to answer that question and because everyone's different, but um, bringing someone in just to at least talk to and say, hey, this is the questions I have. Um, I'm going maybe through a divorce. I would love to know about the finances. Help me out um, is the right way to go. Get your answers, ducks in a row, all of that fun stuff. Um, Because there's also something called hidden assets. So if anyone on this call has ever been through a divorce, my goodness, like how do you know what the ex had opened (gasps) up or not, right? Drama. Oh my God. We're talking about all these just 
I know they're not the most positive conversations, but it's so needed. So, I mean, it, let's just throw it out there. I mean, some people are not as honest as others. So it's really good to have a financial person on your team that will find those assets or help you through the process of knowing what you need to know. Oh my God. I was just thinking about someone, you know, prenup aside, like joining a marriage and then hiding financial information from your spouse is so messed up. <laughs> oh, not even knowing, not even, I mean, That's... what if the guy, let's say he had a fun play account that was a side adventure that he just bought some stocks on. He didn't really think it was important to mention it. Um, even during the divorce process where you're supposed to divulge all accounts, maybe he just didn't yeah. think about it. Cause it's only, whatever amount it is, just a small amount of the portion of the pie. Um, that's stuff that, you know, it's important you don't lose out on. So yeah, there's little things here and there you don't know until you know. Mm -mm -mm. So you kind of, you're like sort of a, a trifecta team. So you're all kind of working together. You're, you're working with the attorney, you're working with the client, and then you as a team are sort of approaching the process. Yep. Most of the time it's that way, or the client just hires me because she doesn't really um, understand where she's at in the process. She doesn't know where to turn. And she and I just work through all the finances. And then at the very end of the process, we get an attorney evolved and it's done. It's, it's whatever is best for the client, right? <laughs> it sounds, it sounds so, are you like one of few people that do this? It sounds like so essential. And I'm wondering about the decades of women and did they have a, a hero and a champion on their side to get them through this process. So it's so funny you ask that because I had no clue. Again, I thought it was the attorney who knew everything, you know? No, I think we do that in America. Like we place so much power in that particular person, in that particular job, just in general across the board that, you know, we just sort of accept what people say who in general are attorneys because they've gone to law school for God's sakes. You, you know what I mean? They get paid a lot of money. Exactly. But they, they do know the basics, but when they actually, the last, I'd say 10 to 20 years, there's been more of an influx of financial analysts that help during divorce only. Um, and just, I mean, it is such a necessity if you have, I would say the baseline, at least talking to the audience right now, is if you have more than 200,000, that's when an analyst comes into play. If you have under 200,000, and let's just say you don't have any stocks, you don't even know what that is, doesn't matter to you, no retirement planning, you know, no retirement assets, no house, you're just renting, then you most likely don't need an analyst because you're literally going to split it 50-50. Let's just say you have an account with a few thousand, just split it the cash. If you mm. have anything else, then yeah, you want to have someone who can actually analyze and help with all the fun terminology and finance because this is where it gets to the cost basis and quadros and what is all that stuff? Well, you don't need to know. You need to Got just me, make girl. sure. I know. <laughs> And taxes. When you said taxes, I was like, uh well, like your ick. heart drops. It's like, oh my gosh, what? Oh, it's it's terrifying. It is terrifying. It's overwhelming. So having it's just, someone it, to help you. Is it dark to say like this is yet another reason why I don't want to get married? Totally good reason. I'm, I'm like, I don't think you need to get married. So dark. There's totally not any reason if you no. If you're oh. happy, I'm right there with you. It's, there's stay single. <laughs> Stay single. Keep your like, money this sounds separate. Terrible. <laughs> Why is that it's terrible though? Up. That's a taboo in our messed. culture. No, I said this sounds terrible. Like this process sounds terrible. 
no this all sounds terrible <laughs> i'm like mm, yuck uh, <laughs> and that's why i'm here today yeah i know i'm glad you're on team single i really am and then like what happens after the divorce like do you stay with the client how involved are you in their money management afterwards or is it just to get them over that hill and then you're like you know good fortune to you godspeed see you on the other side <laughs> The analyst role is analyzing during divorce. So let's say there's a stock that you bought in the nineties, like Microsoft stock, and then you bought another one in 2018. Those are not the same price, right? So there's a lot that goes into splitting the assets. So I help during divorce as the analyst splitting everything up and making sure, you know, the female gets what she deserves. Then after, well, yeah, you're not all of a sudden, if you get this huge windfall of his retirement plan, you're not all of a sudden like, oh great, I know what to do. No, let's actually work together. And it takes a few months to understand your behaviors and where you came from with money because there's tons of stuff from childhood just like mine Mm. where you have a ton of biases with money and you have to work those out or else you're gonna either get rid of that money really quickly, that's supposed to last forever, or you are gonna be scared and petrified and not touch it, and you're gonna all of a sudden be living a different lifestyle and that's not fair either. So we work for a few months afterwards on post-divorce, just planning with finances. You know, Everything that we talked about during divorce is really important, but actually planning on how to manage the money and budget and cash flow Mm. analysis, all those fun terms we have to do after the divorce because it's a very overwhelming process to get divorced and finances on top of that, it has to be slow. So it's not a, let's just clean our hands and be done day after divorce decree. No, it's, it's a really good education process and journey. I love that you do that. And I, I, again, it makes me wonder like who was doing that, like in the 30 to 50 years prior, was there anyone doing that? Like, let's say you get divorced and let's say that you end up with a a lovely chunk, $10 million, but you've never invested or managed the money before because your husband was in charge of that stuff. And like, not, yeah, you'd just be like a little adrift. I think that's, what do you do? so interesting. I feel so it's such a hard feeling of sadness for those in the past that didn't have someone to help them through it. Uh, and I also will note that I personally don't, I used to manage almost a billion in assets, uh, before I started my own firm. And now with working in divorce, I don't touch the money. I don't invest the money because that completely to me is a conflict of, it is. yeah, that's well, smart. Yeah. don't keep the house, keep it in cash and I'll invest it for you and I'll make money. Right. So no, um, you, after the divorce, maybe investing is not the right thing, right? It might be keeping the house or it might be keeping it in cash. There's so many options. And that's really why it's wonderful to talk today about, hey, if you are thinking of divorce, you're going through divorce, or even if you're single and you don't know about your money, find someone to help you through and educate you just a little bit. You don't need to be a pro. Don't ever do it. It's not, unless it's a passion, don't try to become one. But um, like for me, I love it. But I just, it's such a great thing to learn a little bit, even if it's just listening to podcasts like this today and just knowing, hey, others feel the same way as I do. I have anxiety about this money stuff. It's okay. (laughs) Well, also just having an ally, like I I feel like there's a stigma again a generalization but there i believe that there is a stigma of women talking to male financial advisors you know because we 
in our culture, there's a huge lack in education and financial literacy. And there's a huge lack in financial literacy in like teaching that information to our daughters. So there's a lot of times that like women feel weird talking about men in the financial space. So being able to talk to you and being like, yo, I do not know what this is. You know what I mean? Like, and just be honest about it and be like, I'm overwhelmed or like, this is confusing to me. I don't understand this language. I imagine that feels really like, it's like a safe space. Like I said, you're an ally to people who may feel a little adrift in a situation that's a new or uncomfortable to them. Exactly. And it doesn't matter your socioeconomic status. You're all, you know, it's, it's all the same. We all feel these terrible feelings when it comes to money. And on top of that, having other experiences going on in life, because life is not just linear of nothing's going wrong, but one thing, there's a lot of things going on. So having an ally is huge. So let me ask you this. Like, what if a husband uh, reaches out to you and is like, hey, you know, the divorce is settled. I love the way you handle the financial decision for my ex-wife can we work together? Like, how do you handle that situation? Are you just like, I don't work with men? So I absolutely had a huge boundary when I started the firm because I knew I was yes, yes, pleaser. Yes, yes, yes. To everyone and anything. I love yeah. volunteering. Um, and I probably would have taken him on just as for, to help him. Right. Um, so no, I absolutely refer out to really trusted advisors for anyone who's not in my niche. And I'm sticking with that because if you don't, then you're helping everyone and then you're overwhelmed and then you literally are helping no one if you can't. Yeah, and you've lost it. your vision. Exactly. Yeah. So no, I do turn people away, even attorneys who want me to work on cases um, that it would be really, really beneficial um, financially. It just, it makes no sense to leave my niche that I love. So I yeah. refer them to other people who can help and, and be a neutral or help the men. Uh, and I do have a lot of men who want me to actually work with their wives because then they won't come to them after the divorce and <laughs> ask for more money. Oh my God. So think about that. That's to completely manipulative and I won't go that route either. Um, yeah. but the, I mean, there's women who, if you are used to a certain lifestyle and you're given a budget all of a sudden and you used to spend 80k a month well you're going to blow through that budget most likely and then you're going to ask your ex for more money and you're going to go mm -hmm. to court year after year it's just messy and i avoid that but i'm not going to get hired by a male who wants me to do that for the wife right so she has to want it <laughs> yeah yeah oh my god it's so complicated and messy so you have uh, this beautiful title, Behavioral Financial Advisor, which I'd, truth be told, never heard of until I read your bio. So is this a new aspect of financial planning that's being taught? Or is that something that you kind of put together to serve you and your clients specifically? So great question. I love this because I actually, that was one of the things years ago that was up and coming is behavioral financial advising, behavioral neuroeconomics, financial ah, therapy, okay. all this stuff is brand new. So anyone who's listening, I promise if you haven't heard of it, you're not the only one, just like you just said, like no one knows about it yet. It's brand new. And so the certified financial planning designation I have, they just this year added to the examination process that takes a year to study for, they just added behavioral finance as one of the pillars that people need to know about. So it's brand new, um, mm. just a few years old. And, and it's all about the emotions and investing and talking about your money. Like, how do you get to where you are? What kind of investor are you? Are you a saver versus a spender and why, and how did you get there? So it really develops 
the the acknowledgement of emotions and investing because we all have them. I don't care if you are on TV as the biggest financial expert, you still have emotions and you're still trying to uh, work through that with your own financial situation. And so it just dives into all this fun terminology that has to do with money and emotions, which as you can tell, if I work with a therapist and I work with money, I'm totally in that world. I love it, but it's new. It's a new world. it's so fascinating because it's so real. And I guess like, I love that it was just acknowledged because there's such a stigma around money and it all comes from the way that you were taught about money and how your family approaches money. I ta- This makes me think of something. Um, I was in like sort of a, a collective of artists a couple years ago and we constantly and money came up all the time and we were talking about how artists are constantly approaching money from a state of lack because we have this really unstable lifestyle we don't know when the next paycheck's coming in um but the and this may be like a little woo-woo but the idea of like always thinking of not having enough is actually this self-fulfilling prophecy of like not actually ever having enough Well, and then you also have all these biases on top of that. So we can take the starving artists, for example, if they were given, let's just say a few million, they are going to unconsciously get rid of it all because it's going to go back to their safe spots of I'm a starving artist. I don't believe that money is good. Money is the root of all evil. All of these things that they might've heard as a child still with them. So even if they could have done really good with that money, they still think it's greedy to have and they're gonna get rid of it whether they know they are or not. So they have to work through those issues of, okay, well, if I have a few million and I work through how I was spoken to in childhood and money doesn't grow on trees, let's say it's one of the things they heard or scripts. There's a lot of different things that people grow up with. um, And if you get through that, you can use money for good if you thought it was greed and now it's good, you can change your mentality behaviorally with money. So there is, it's fascinating that you bring that up because that's a huge thing that we talk about in my financial psychology Institute classes all the time. I, I think that uh, the whole topic of behavioral finance, as you call it, or what was the t- phrase you just used? Financial Psy- therapy as well. Financial therapy and the psychology of money. Is that it? That's one and behavioral neuroeconomics. Oh my God. Um, but it's totally, it's so interesting. And then I think that's like, it's also tied into the way that we're weird about money in America. Yes. Like mm-hmm. I was just talking about this with some friends literally a couple of days ago. It came up because I was telling um, them, uh, I, in my pre-pandemic life, I worked as a tour guide. I don't know if I will again, but uh, people are fascinated by what people pay in rent in New York City and are constantly wanting actual numbers. And um, and he was like, that's so rude that people ask you what you pay. And I was like, I don't. I think it just reflects culture in New York. And then they can use it as a comparison for like, wow, you pay $3,500 a month. I pay that for my mortgage, but I have 7,500 acres of farmland, you know? But that's for me in my background. Like for me, it doesn't represent any value of good or bad. It's just information, you know? Well, yeah, and I'd be curious if his growing up status, they kept money secret and hid it and didn't talk about it. Who knows? We don't know. Hidden accounts, so many hidden accounts. (laughs) <laughs> you could go into so many different things. And also that brings up when you talk about 
um, people's, let's just say 3,500 for rent versus 4,200 versus 2,000, that goes into also anchor biases. So that's a totally different thing in behavioral finance where if we know a price, let's just say a car or rent or anything, then all of a sudden that will not leave our brain and we will literally carry that into every conversation and every sales thing that we're trying to buy on that same topic. So we won't be able to leave that as the anchor. We think that that's now the set price of what we're determining we're about to go buy. So that can be really devastating if you're trying to, let's just say, have uh, rent again, um, and you think the price should be the most 3,500 because you heard that from three people uh, in New York. Well then, you're going to be looking for something that's 30. It can be a mess. Um, and especially in the stock market, that's a whole nother thing. But, um, there's a lot of those biases that come into play every day when you just don't talk about it or don't know about it. I guess what I, what I'm, what I'm fascinated by, fascinated by is, um, how our financial upbringing, uh, influences our conversations around money. We have another episode where I interview author Laura Oliver about managing finances as a single woman and how our society isn't really set up that way. It's a couple-based financial society. And so if you are single, you need to start thinking of it differently. But I guess I'm really curious to hear about your opinion, like the dynamics in place in American culture that prevent our society from teaching not only our children, but like specifically our daughters, financial independence and financial literacy. Like, is it, do you think it's because we all just expect people to be coupled up and expect people to be married? I still think, I mean, so there's so many good books about marriage and money, and that's definitely one of those, those cultural things that's still in in the world today is, yeah. oh, right when you finish high school, college, a few years out, you're going to be married and not worry about a thing because the other person's going to do it in the relationship. That's still a thing completely. They just, I mean, we're just getting to the forefront of trying to have financial classes in high school and that I just laugh about. It's like, why is that not a thing for women and men, for children and both? It doesn't matter what gender you are. It just makes so much sense. And it is definitely still the stigma of, well, the women should be, or the girls in middle school, high school should be in the cooking classes. And it's like, like, yeah, how is that still a thing? You guys, I just don't get that. Um, and it's even still uncomfortable, I think for the parents. So you're very fortunate because most parents can't talk about the money because they don't know about the money or they're not educated or they're uncomfortable because they weren't taught. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So it's just a circle stomach. Yeah. It's just going into a circular uh, progression. And unless our education system gets up to speed, um, and makes it a bigger thing, I think we're going to still rely on the education of volunteers, which junior achievement, there's savvy ladies. There's a lot of stuff. I am hoping girl scouts gets, you know, more involved in financial stuff. Um, Oh yeah. You know, I mean, I still remember being in girl scouts and it's like, what are we doing? I don't, I don't know. So there's a lot more stuff in, in the younger years that I think is coming, but it's more of the volunteer route. And I hope it gets into the educational system. Is there a huge volunteer based system that is specifically geared towards girls or is it, are we just talking about like children's financial, children's financial, um, okay. Which is still great, which is still great, but I'm just interested in specifically teaching young women to not, to grow up maybe with the idea that 
they need to be financially independent? Well, there's a ton of organizations that are female-led, that are women in the financial industry and insurance industry that are trying to teach and talk about how it's a great industry to be in someday. So that's that's on the forefront. But oh, gosh, I mean, maybe I'll start a foundation that's just for women trying just to help change young the world, children. Olivia. It's all it's all your responsibility. You <laughs> you have to do it. It's, it's more, it's so funny. You're talking about this because it's more, even what I do is I, on my volunteer stuff, it's helping women who are already grown with their finances on volunteer aspects or helping children, all sexes. Um, so that's really intriguing. I'm very curious about this now. Hmm. I, I wonder if there is good organizations that are doing it just for girls. I'm just, and it's an open-ended question. I'm just like in this podcast, continually trying to chip away at like, uh, where are we at in society in 2021 and what, what biases are still in place? What cultural institutions are in place that like, why is there discomfort in being single? And you know, uh, what is still in place in society that leads people to believe, and I'm saying I'll part of it. Like when I was growing up, I fully expected, expected, solid word, expected to be married by age 30 didn't occur to me that there was another option. And I think that's why there's like a lot of uh, disconnect and a discomfort around being single because people will hit a certain age that they thought that they would be married by. And then they're like, oh, I didn't imagine this future. Uh, you know, <laughs> and what does that look like? Uh, you know, for me, like I bought an apartment, um, not because I was like, I'm going to be single forever, but I was like, okay, okay. So we're not married yet. So like, what's the, what's the plan here, Jeanette? You know, like, what are we doing? Um, and I don't think I ever talked about or thought about being a single woman owning an apartment. Um, I'm glad I did. I'm really glad I did. And it probably, has a lot to do with the fact that I had a strong financial upbringing. Um, and I'm very lucky to have that. Um, I guess on that topic, uh, I kind of wanted to ask you what you thought some of the stigmas or misrepresentations around divorced women and, and money still exist. Oh gosh. Where do we start? Cause it's just, <laughs> you're there's like, a, it's so sad that boatloads. we even think that, one thing, when you get divorced and you get through all the therapy of working on yourself and you understand where you are, there's such a good peace of mind of having the freedom and the identity back. That's mm. one thing I think that we could talk about forever is the identity of being in a relationship, raising children, doing everything for everyone else, not ever taking a second for yourself, for self-care, for knowing what you want in the future. And then all of a sudden changing the tables, whether you like it or not, when you get divorced of you are now on your own and you're on this independent journey and it can turn into this beautiful thing that was unexpected, you know, having your own identity. So I think that's a stigma of, oh, you're divorced. It just, it's such a positive in my mind. It's just like, oh my God, they get this new life. Like, why is that a bad thing? And I, I think another thing that a lot of women resist at the beginning, and I'll share this um, from the experience of working with women in divorce, is they really think that it's all about 
keeping the kids 100% of the time because they're the ones who raised them. The dad's not going to do it as well. And also that's really what's expected is to fight for the children in front of everyone else, right? You have to, because you're mm-hmm. the mom, you have to give your all still during the divorce process and after the divorce process. And what I've found, and, and I have talked to many people across the country who are in the divorce profession for numerous years who agree is the women who actually get their children a little less than hundred percent, or let's just say 60, 40, they actually have such a relaxing, amazing experience that they get them off for a weekend where they can actually rejuvenate and be better for those children when they see them on Monday morning than if they kept them hundred percent of the time and didn't let the father in because they're the caretakers. They're the ones who that's their full job. So that's, a, that's something that I think our society still expects is the woman to mm. always raise the kids in the divorce. They should have them hundred percent. And when you actually lift the veil and see it actually is okay to take time for yourself in this divorce, you're creating your new identity and also self-care. You're getting a little time for yourself or to see a girlfriend and go on a walk when you used to not be able to, cause you had the children with you. I think that's a huge thing. Um, especially for women who on this may be recently divorced or thinking of divorce. It's not a bad thing to take time for yourself. Yeah. Well, and then you said you use this word earlier and I, I, it really resonated with me because we talk about it a lot on the podcast, but, um, you wanted to empower women. So just the idea that a divorce or reclaiming your singlehood or reclaiming your identity and your freedom is coming from a place of empowerment and not like lack, like you're not, you're not missing out on the marriage. You're not leaving something behind, but you're actually gaining something. You're gaining a little bit of yeah, your, um, your, your power or your control over your life back. Even you had brought up earlier, you know, um, and I'll expand on it is even having a voice in the room with the financial planner before you get divorced. Let's say you once in a while went with your husband when he met with his guy and you go into the room and it's the guy with the suit who has the cocky attitude, the confidence exuding his skin, just thinking he knows everything as the advisor and showing you all these fancy number and plans and terminology and finance. And your eyes are glazing over. You didn't want to deal with the finances. You were in that meeting just to try to expand. And that's when I also had the epiphany of I don't want to have women have to experience that when they walk into the room with financial planners or try to learn about money. It doesn't have to be a scary experience. And so I think for anyone listening who is single or, or, you know, in the middle of a marriage thinking of getting divorced, you can find someone who respects you for you, who gives you a voice, who isn't the Mm. person just throwing numbers at you, trying to sound all fancy and cooler than you and trying to get you to do something. It just, it's really cool when you have an experience of knowing what you're doing and being empowered with money and having a team around you to help you with that. Yeah, absolutely. What are some resources for women who want more guidance around financial security if they're not in a position to say work with you a lot of women who ask me that question they'll find a great resource with the volunteer aspect of savvy ladies so this one is where if you just call the hotline across the whole us doesn't matter where you live you can call the hotline on savvy ladies and you'll talk to a financial planner like myself 
because I'm a volunteer on that hotline and they have the credentials to back it up where they know what they're doing. And you're going to talk to an expert that actually works as a certified financial planner and is there literally for that hour, whenever you want to meet them to just wow. talk over the phone or zoom and we'll help you with whatever issues you have. And then of course, before that hour is up, they're going to be not just letting you go. I mean, they'll give you resources for a book to read that's financially savvy for you, or they'll help you with empowering yourself and where to go next or what your game plan is. Um, cause you brought up like Roth IRA. I wouldn't know what a Roth IRA is. I would have no clue unless I talked to someone or if I was in the industry. So calling savvy ladies, I think is a really good idea because you can get those answers and then move on forward with the right avenue for you. And it's, it's free to everybody. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. I love it. I know. And that's why I say it's like, oh gosh, we should be helping more girls with the finances. But if you're already grown and you never were taught this, you can then have the knowledge, the empowerment, and then raise your girls the way that they should have been raised and you should have been raised. So yes. Ah, brava, savvy ladies. We love you. They sound they sound kick ass. I'm oh, so glad oh my you, gosh, you shared that resource with us. Um, can we close on a little piece of advice from you? Some advice for divorce listeners or single women if you want to combine it or separate. I'm gonna do for everyone who's a female Great. who is not ever been in the financial industry is start simple. Um, literally start simple or else you won't do it. So the best thing you can do is start as small as you possibly can. So if you work for a company, let's just say you can talk to your HR or your, let's say they have a, a retirement center at your company. If it's big, ask them if there's a retirement plan or if there's someone to talk to or go online and just type in help with finances and talk to someone, start really small, call savvy ladies, talk to someone. That is the best thing you can do is just start really small. So don't try to become all of a sudden this powerhouse of I'm going to save so much a year and I'm going to do this, 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 and I'm going to budget every day. No, just literally reach out to someone. I think that's the best and start really small. Just try. Hmm. That's great. As with all things, you know, just without getting overwhelmed, like you, a lot of us women tend to want to fix everything, you know, so starting, starting small and, and growing from there. I appreciate that very much. Olivia, if people want to learn more from you or if they want to work with you, where can they find you? So my website has some really good resources and it's specific again, just for divorce. So it's Summerhill Wealth dot com. And I also have a podcast. So if you are going through divorce or you're thinking of it, the people I have on it, just like yours, they're the experts. They know what they're doing. It's really fun to listen to if you're in divorce or thinking about it, obviously. And it's divorce for wealthy women on all, you know, the media platforms. So Apple, Google podcasts, all of those. Um, so that's, I think the best two resources I can give right now. Love it. Love it. Well, I hope people continue to connect with you. You seem like a wealth pun intended of information. I've, I've been waiting all 50 minutes to say that. I <laughs> uh, couldn't help myself. Sorry. Um, but truly, thank you so much for sharing so much information with us for um, all types of people in different scenarios. And it, it's so wonderful, like I said, to hear a a female ally and a female champion of financial independence. So I love what you do. Keep doing the good work. 
Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. That's it for this episode, you guys. If you think someone would appreciate this badass conversation about wealth management and possibly divorce, feel free to pass it along to a friend. As always, you can follow us on Instagram at hashtag single pod. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you would love to give us a like and a follow, they've changed it from subscribe, a follow. We'd also encourage your comments below. Let us know what you think. That is it for this episode, you guys. We will catch you next time. Thank you.